We turn this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Our reading is the first ten verses, the account of Jesus with Zacchaeus, and that will be our, the basis for our sermon this morning. Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press. In other words, the crowds were pressing around Jesus because he was little of stature. He couldn't see. And he ran before, or ahead, and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by a false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So far we read God's holy and inspired word. People of God, this incident took place towards the very end of Jesus' ministry. He had spent several weeks in the city of Ephraim, and now he was on the way to Jerusalem, where the Passover was to be celebrated, and where at this time he would be arrested and tried, condemned, and crucified. The way to Jerusalem led him through the city of Jericho. And he was almost through the city of Jericho when a rather unusual event took place. Jesus stopped under a sycamore tree. The crowds were pressing around him. He stopped at a sycamore tree and looked up. And everybody else did too. And behold, there was a man of short stature who had climbed up into the tree to get a better look at Jesus. They all knew who he was. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a hated publican, a tax collector, known for his dishonesty. He's up in the tree. Jesus told Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I'm going to stay at your house for a while. This brought protests from the crowds. Jesus was going to be the guest at one who was a sinner, a Zacchaeus. In response, Jesus pointed out that he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And Zacchaeus was just a one that Jesus had come to save. He was one that was lost. And what we're going to see through the sermon this morning, that he was lost meant that he had come to see his lost condition. And Jesus adds this, that indicates that he is a true son of Abraham. 
And so Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus to proclaim to him salvation, a salvation that he desired but couldn't find until Jesus came to his house. There's a stark contrast in this passage, isn't there? There's Zacchaeus who was lost, and he knew it. And it was a terrible burden on his soul. He was lost. And then in contrast, there's the crowd that murmured when Jesus invited himself to come to Zacchaeus' home. They weren't lost. Well, they were. But the point is here, they didn't acknowledge it. They refused to see their lost condition. That arises out of their theology, their understanding that the Pharisees had taught them they were self-righteous. They were righteous of themselves. They knew no sin. They didn't see their lost condition. Jesus proclaimed salvation to this lost sinner Zacchaeus who saw his lost condition and proclaimed the great salvation of God. That's what we're going to proclaim also today to those who are lost. Pray God That's every one of us, lost. The theme is Zacchaeus. Three things. First of all, his identity. Who is this man? Secondly, his repentance. We see a changed man here. His repentance. And finally, his salvation. What exactly did Jesus say and show? That's here in this passage. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I'm not going to sing that, but that's a song that our children know. But the fact that he was a short, wee little man is not the prominent thing here. Our focus must be, rather, that he was chief among the publicans. A publican was a tax collector working for the Roman government. All goods moving on the main caravan routes from one area to the other were taxed. This was a chief source of revenue for the Roman Empire. And for that purpose, toll booths were set up along the highways that these caravans traveled. And those caravan, one of those highways ran through Jericho, where there was taxation for these goods. Now, a publican was one who worked for the Roman government to collect these taxes. And such a position of a publican or a tax collector had many possibilities. The laws governing the evaluation of goods and the rate of taxation were rather vague. And that made it possible for these publicans to tax heavily and pocket a significant percentage of what was paid to themselves. And only part went on to the Roman governor, to the Roman government. And so the position of a publican was often put up for sale, given to the highest bidder. And someone who could purchase that position could expect a handsome return on his investment. 
In one locality, there were a number of publicans. One publican, one man, would contract with the Roman government to to collect taxes for a whole area. But because there was more than enough, there was more than enough taxation that he needed more men. So he would again sublet and put out these positions for a bid. And again, more money would come. More money would come to the chief publican. And that's who Zacchaeus was in the Jericho vicinity. He was the chief publican. Now, publicans were despised and hated. They were classified as the scum of society. Their names were mentioned in the same breath as harlots and criminals. It was a shame to have a publican in your relationship, in your family. It was a black mark. And there were especially two reasons for this. First of all, the Israelites didn't think the Roman government had a right to collect taxes. Weren't they, after all, the special people of God? Weren't they the covenant people, the sons of Abraham? The Roman government didn't have any right to tax them. That comes out when Jesus was asked once, as his critics tried to undermine him, is it lawful to give tribute or taxes to Caesar? And they were going to catch him. And you recall Jesus says, well, give me a coin. Whose inscription is on there? Oh, that's Caesar's. Well, give it to him then. Give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But that came out of the idea that it was improper for Caesar to level taxes on them. In addition to that, most publicans were crooked. They were men of wealth by dishonest taxation and dishonest dealings with others. They were frauds. Zacchaeus was no exception to the rule. He had been dishonest and a fraud and a scoundrel. According to his own confession, he had taken from others by false accusation. That meant he had exacted money fraudulently. He says, if I've done that, then I'm repaying back. If I've done that. And the construction in the original is that he did it. Since I've done that, I'm paying back fourfold. He had been a fraud. And he was rich. He was extremely rich simply from the fact that the Bible mentions it. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief of the publicans, and he was rich. Consequently, he was known as a sinner. The people murmured when Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. They murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. He was known and recognized by the people for what he was. And he was placed in the class of harlots and criminals, the scum of society. The reputation he had was deserved. 
Well, that's Zacchaeus. That's his identity. Now his repentance. We find in this encounter with Jesus a very repentant man. Now repentance here is not mentioned, but he gives very great evidence that he was a repentant sinner. What is repentance? Some people say, well, it's remorse. I feel bad by what I did. Well, that's part of it. But that in itself is not repentance. There are those who are very, very sad that they did something, and they're remorseful, and they have regret, but they're not repentant. Sometimes they're remorseful because they got caught, and now they're suffering the punishment. There was the remorse of Judas Iscariot after he had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He came back to the chief rulers of the, of the city and he, he threw the money down. And he went out and hanged himself. He was not repentant. According to Scripture, repentance is a change of mind about your sin. It implies a previous delight in sin. Sin is appealing. Sin is going to get you ahead. Sin is the good life. And so you devote yourself to sin. Perhaps you are caught under the control of sin and becomes your taskmaster. But there's a delight in sin and a pursuit of a sin. But then there's a change of mind or a change of heart that reflects itself in a number of ways. First of all, the sinner who delighted in his sin is now grieved, and deeply grieved, not because just of bad consequences, but because he has offended the God he's come to love. True repentance comes out of a changed heart that loves God. And he has, by his sin, offended God. By his sin, he has dishonored God. By his sin, he has hurt his neighbor. And so he comes to hate that which he before loved. I hate what I did. I hate this tendency. And so he confesses his sin. He owns up to it. Doesn't justify himself. Doesn't minimize it. He owns up to it. He confesses his sin. He confesses his sins to those around him whom he's hurt. But above all, he confesses his sin to God. Dear God in heaven, I've offended you. I've dishonored you. I've hurt my neighbor. Please forgive me. Forgive me. For Jesus' sake, because of his work on the cross to pay for sin. And then the repentant sinner fights against sin. He has this tendency. Each one of us has certain weaknesses, sins that can easily dominate our lives. So he he works against it. He fights against it. 
And part of his repentance is, if he has hurt those around us, he does everything he can to make amends. Now that's true repentance. And that repentance we find with Zacchaeus as he made his confession to Jesus. He gets down from the tree. He can't wait to say to Jesus. And we'll see why he couldn't wait in a moment. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus had robbed from the poor. He had done that, first of all, by exacting a large rate of taxation upon the goods going through the Jericho Highway. You know, I don't want to get political, but the, 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 the cry of some today is, let the, let the rich, let, let business pay our taxes. Let them pay extra taxes. Well, guess what? If they have to pay extra taxes, the price of their goods goes up, and we pay those taxes. That's what we do. Easy as that. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. The more taxes he paid, the more the poor had to pay. That was robbery. Besides that, as as Zacchaeus' wealth grew, he got involved with other ventures. And as was very common in those days, if you had enough money, you could maneuver, you could take advantage of the disadvantaged, and you built the poor, and you got rich, as the poor couldn't find enough hardly to eat. That's what he did. But now instead of robbing from the poor, Zacchaeus was giving half of his riches to the poor. And this is not a promise of what he was going to do. This is in the present tense. He's been doing that now. He's a changed man. He was giving large sums of money to the poor around Jericho. That's a change in him. And he was also restoring fourfold to those whom he had defrauded. That was the remedy of the Old Testament Scriptures. Exodus 22, verse 1, If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. This law served a twofold purpose. First of all, to prevent theft. Secondly, to to right the past wrongs. Well, that was Zacchaeus. He was trying to do that. In sorrow for his sin, he was seeking to restore fourfold for all that he had defrauded and taken by fraud. And this was a monumental task for Zacchaeus, for he had defrauded many. But he was in the process of doing that. All these are genuine signs of repentance. And that repentance, that change in Zacchaeus' heart and life, explains why he climbed up into the sycamore tree. Verse 3 said, says, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, 
because he was little of stature. <laughs> I never had that problem. I never had to push myself up to the front. I never had to climb up into a tree. I can always see. But he was a little man. He couldn't see Jesus. He wanted to see him. And it wasn't just out of idle curiosity. He took a great risk. He, he was known in, in, in Jericho as a scoundrel. If he were to be discovered in that sycamore tree, as he was, he would be the laughingstock of the whole community. It wasn't just idle curiosity. Zacchaeus wanted to talk to Jesus. He had repented of his sins, but he did not have the knowledge of salvation and forgiveness. He possessed the beginning of God's work in his heart. He had come to love God, whom he had dishonored. He was sorry. He was a repentant sinner, but he had not yet attained the knowledge that in the way of repentance there was forgiveness and eternal life. He didn't know that. And he didn't know that because that was not the teaching of the leaders of the people, nor the mentality of the people. They were misled by the theology of works righteousness. If you want to be right with God, then you have to keep the law. You have to present your obedience to God, and God will approve it, and he'll embrace you and take you to heaven. And he'll be your friend. But it's up to you to earn that. And in that system, if you falter, and you falter like a Zacchaeus, there's no hope. There's no hope. There's only condemnation. And so he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard reports of Jesus. He was a great prophet of God, evident from his many mighty miracles. He taught with an authority that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't have. Some said he was the promised Messiah. Zacchaeus must see this man. And not just look at him, but talk to him. Learn from him. Is there any hope for him? And so he wanted to be able to identify Jesus. Oh, this is what he looks like. He was going to find Jesus as he left Jericho. He was going to find him. But now I have to see him. I have to know, is there any hope for me? And that brings us to our final point is salvation. Jesus stopped under the sycamore tree, looked up, and invited himself over to the house of Zacchaeus. The people murmured and complained, this man is a sinner. He's going to a sinner's house. How can that be? But Jesus responded, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. And he didn't mean, no, that he was a natural son of Abraham, that he was a Jew. That was true probably of everybody in that crowd. They were Jews. They were a natural offspring of Abraham. That's not what brought Jesus to the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was rather a spiritual son of Abraham. He was a son of Abraham in that he had the same faith as Abraham. Now let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read four verses. The beginning of this chapter, Paul expresses surprise and dismay that the Galatians had been misled. He had brought them to the Lord by the way of faith, salvation by faith alone, without works. And here came other teachers of Jewish background and says, but you have to add your own works to Jesus' works. Oh, foolish Galatians, you've been deceived. And so he goes on, I'm starting at verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, did he, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all nations be blessed, not just Jews. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now notice here, verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. You have the faith of Abraham. You are his child. That goes back to the promise that God made in Genesis 17, verse 7, about the covenant. And I will establish my covenant, said God to Abraham, between me and thee and thy seed after thee. For an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. I'm going to be your covenant friend and also with your seed. And now Galatians chapter 3 says that seed is not a natural seed. He wasn't speaking of all the physical descendants of Abraham. He was speaking of those who would be given the faith of Abraham. Do you have the faith of Abraham? You are his seed. You belong to God's covenant. That's where we start. Now, we've heard it read in verse 5, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham had faith in God. God, in Genesis chapter 12, we read, promised Abraham to become a great nation, and to give to this great nation the land of Canaan. 
And Abraham believed it, even though he was getting older. And he had no children yet. And he didn't own one square inch of the land of Canaan. He lived in tents, wandering around with his cattle. But he believed God. And then his faith was put to a greater test. He and Sarah were too old to have children. How in the world was this promise going to happen? And so that brings us to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Where Abraham started to think, well, maybe... Sarah and I can't have children. Maybe my servant, Eliezer, is the seed through whom this promise is going to come. And God came to him and said, no, it's going to be someone who comes out of your loins. You're going to be a natural descendant of yours. And we read this in verse 6. And Abraham believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. He believed the impossible. God was going to give to him and Sarah in their old age a miracle child through whom the promises were going to be, uh, going to be kept. He believed. Now later on, that faith wavered because still no child. And so he and Sarah connived to, for him to take a concubine Hagar, no, his faith stumbled. And so they had to send Ishmael away. But Abraham then believed, and God gave them a miracle child when he was 100 and Sarah 90. uh, Isaac, he believed. And now you understand that faith was not just I'm going to get a miracle child. Abraham knew himself as a lost sinner. (laughs) He had stumbled often. More than once, he got himself in trouble because he was afraid because of the beauty of Sarah. When he went to Egypt and and went among the Philistines that they were going to kill him and take him, take his wife. And so he said, pass yourself off as my sister, will you? His faith faltered. He, he He was a sinner. He knew it. And his faith that he had in God's promise was not just a miracle child who's going to come and through whom I'm going to become a great nation, but his faith also was that in this great seed of whom this son is only a picture, I'm going to find my salvation. By the word of the Lord, he was offering sacrifices again and again and again, and he knew those sacrifices didn't cover his sin. They only pointed ahead to the great seed that God promised who would offer the perfect sacrifice and bring him and the great nation that he was going to be to father, not just to the earthly Canaan, but to the heavenly Canaan. That was his faith. It was a faith that clinged to the coming Savior. And so God counted his faith as righteousness because he clung to the perfect sacrifice yet to come. You see? And Zacchaeus' repentance was the beginning of that faith. 
just the beginning. He didn't have the knowledge of salvation in the promised seed. He didn't have it. But he knew that Jesus was a miracle worker, perhaps was the Messiah that was to come. I've got to talk to him. That was faith. And now the great seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, invited himself to the house of Zacchaeus so that he may give to Zacchaeus the knowledge of salvation. He proclaimed the gospel to him. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem to offer his life as a sacrifice for the sin of all the true sons of Abraham and to secure their salvation. But before he did this, he must stop a while, come to the house of Zacchaeus, and assure this son of Abraham of his salvation. Instruct him. Comfort him. What a wonderful visit that must have been that day. Zacchaeus started the day being troubled. He was troubled in his soul for a long time. And now he found assurance. Jesus did this because, according to his parting words, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus speaks here of the lost. Who are they? The lost, as I have indicated throughout the sermon, is not just those who are hopelessly lost in sin and bound for hell. <laughs> That's true of all of us without Jesus. The lost here are those who see their lost condition by faith and desire more than anything else reconciliation with God and salvation. Zacchaeus was just a lost soul as is every true son of Abraham who has the faith of Abraham, they're lost. Are you lost? Do you see your lost condition? The lost here are distinguished from those who murmured in the multitude. They classified Zacchaeus as a sinner and objected to Jesus abiding at his house that day. They objected even though there was an obvious change in the life and mannerism of this Zacchaeus. He was giving his half of his wealth, substantial wealth, to the poor. How many hadn't he defrauded and he was restoring fourfold? They knew that. But they still said, he's a sinner. Why are you at his house? You see, that arose out of the Phariseeistic error of self-righteousness. They had bought in, in their pride, to the teaching of the Pharisees that they had kept the law sufficiently to earn a favorable judgment of God that would bring them to eternal life in heaven. And because of that, you work your way to heaven 
there was no concept of forgiveness. They themselves didn't need forgiveness. What, what did they do wrong? They were blind to their own sin. Nor could they forgive others who in their estimation were lost in sin. Even if there was repentance, even though there was a changed life, no forgiveness. They weren't lost. Jesus has come as the Son of Man to seek and to save the lost. He has not come to seek and to save those who are righteous in themselves. And what I mean by that is he has not come to announce to them and promise them salvation. Your sins are covered. You are forgiven. You are an heir to eternal life. You live under the care of a sovereign heavenly father. He hasn't come to announce that to those who aren't lost, who are blind to their lost condition, who don't need forgiveness, they think, who will not forgive others. But he has come to seek and to save those who are lost, who by the grace of God come to see their lost condition. He has come to seek them out and to proclaim to them their salvation in him. Forgiveness. Restoration, reconciliation, eternal life, inheritance. And he's still doing that. He didn't just do that here on the, on the earth when he was here. It wasn't just at the house of Zacchaeus he did this. He's still doing it. Before his ascension into heaven, he commissioned his disciples to preach the same gospel. Luke chapter 24 and Jesus said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The church is commissioned. Preach. Preach repentance and preach salvation to the repentant. First of all, we have to be told, repent. The true sons of Abraham by faith do. But our faith is not always the way it should be. And there are times when we can be led away by sin. And, and, and daily, and, and from the pulpit, on a very regular basis, we must have a spiritual diet calling us to repent. Grieve that you have dishonored the God whom you love. Grieve over the fact that you've injured your neighbor. Hate that sin. Confess it. Seek forgiveness. Leave that sin. That must be a constant diet that we hear from this pulpit and that we bring to our children and to one another. We need to hear it. And then we also need to hear salvation. The promise of God, there's salvation to every repentant sinner. Full and free.
no matter what you've done, no matter the great injury you've, you've brought upon others, no matter how you've dishonored your God, when there is true repentance, there is salvation. Did you hear that today? Did you hear that? That's the gospel. That's what Jesus brought to Zacchaeus. Let's embrace that as repentant sinners, as true sons and daughters of Abraham. Embrace that by faith and go home joyful.